Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I do here at least monthly in two different forms. First of all, I do have it in a video form here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, and it's also available in a audio-only form where you can listen to it like an actual podcast. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word, on your favorite podcasting app, host, or provider. We're not available on all of them, but we're available on most of the big ones, I would say. Either way, in case you do not know, this is a podcast where I talk about a few topics in the realm of video game mod typically when it comes to console modding and such on here. It's not necessarily a news show because we really don't break news on here. However, it is something that if you want to get informed and get some opinions and such on here in a kind of laid back way, I guess you can go ahead, watch, listen, and hopefully enjoy yourself. This episode here, I did want to only focus on a few topics and kind of, I guess, have it hyper-focused in a way, uh, so I'm not going to have as big of an array of topics as I typically do, but I will probably save that for another episode here, hopefully sooner rather than later. Either way, let's go ahead and get right into this month's topics that are really going to revolve around the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Now, over on the Hacker One page for PlayStation, there was a new payout awarded to the Flow and a new disclosure here that we were able to get some public insight on. Now, this is not a full disclosure or even really a partial disclosure to the degree that what I mean by that is there's not going to be any code on here that you can find in regards to this exploit. However, we are able to see and glean some details from this, which are pretty interesting, and this does impact the PlayStation 5. So, this was revealed and disclosed here to the public on September 20th, 2022. Now, this is the summary here. It says by PlayStation, but this has been written by the flow, and it states here, The PlayStation 5 is vulnerable to a previous vulnerability, which easily grants kernel access to an attacker. This vulnerability had been reported by me for the PlayStation 4 two years ago, when the PlayStation 5 did not yet exist. Thus, this should be considered as a new report and a not a duplicate. I was able to use this vulnerability in conjunction with the BDJ exploit chain to gain kernel access. And then you can see this here from FreeBSD uh, for more details. The impact of this being that you can gain kernel access on the PlayStation 5, really showing that the flow was able to, at this time, jailbreak the PlayStation 4. And this is actually something that I covered a couple of years ago. If anybody is unfamiliar, or if you don't remember, that is all good. I kind of had to refresh my memory here as well too. But this is another use after free leading to arbitrary kernel read-write primitives, uh, which this here is really a kernel exploit that was disclosed by the flow to PlayStation. And well, it says here in conjunction with the WebKit exploit, a fully chained remote attack can be achieved. It is possible to steal, manipulate user data, and you can dump and run pirated games. Now, for anybody who does not know about this, they might be unaware or uh, they're just not sure what this was, uh, just check this out right here, this comment from the flow. It says, this report does not include the whole chain, only the kernel exploit. I have chained the kernel exploit with a public WebKit exploit on firmware 6.72, hence I know that it is reachable from WebKit Sandbox. 
For 7.02, I don't have a WebKit exploit myself. I have obtained a kernel dump from an anonymous person and reverse engineered the affected component and verify that it was still unpatched. Now this disclosure was different because this one actually has an attachment here called exploit.c which actually gave us code for this as well just right here that was publicly available which was cool to see. But for anybody who's wanting the dots connected here this here was the exploit that was used to give us the 6.72 and 7.02 jailbreaks because this was the kernel exploit used at the time. This was kind of an odd moment in history because typically a WebKit exploit comes first and then a kernel exploit comes later. Now at this time it was odd because 6.72 as it states here did have a public WebKit exploit but this kernel exploit came out and it worked up to firmware 7.02 at the time for PlayStation 4. So that's why shortly after this was released, a jailbreak for 6.72 was released there. And then once there was a discovered WebKit exploit for 7.02, this kernel exploit was able to be used yet again and paired with the 7.02 jailbreak. Leading to the most recent disclosure that we have here in which it seems this vulnerability for the kernel was never patched on the PlayStation 5. It was, of course, patched on the PlayStation 4, but not the PS5. So even though the kernel exploit was there, there still needed to be an entry point of some kind, which we have talked about BDJB in a previous episode. So this is where the flow was saying they were able to chain this kernel exploit with the BDJB exploit as an entry point, and they were then able to get kernel access on the PlayStation 5, which once you tie all that together, you're really able to get a jailbreak at that point. Now, a lot of this has not been disclosed here, like the comments and such on this. We do see that this was, of course, triaged. PlayStation did pay out a $10,000 bounty, and then this was resolved. But this is what I can kind of point to right here. Just look at this. This was originally submitted all this year on January 4th, and it looks like this was changed to resolved on April 14th of this year. Now what I did was I went to ExtremePS3.com and I just started looking at the PS5 system software history. And I ended up finding right here, I believe it was this one. Here we go. On April 14th, 2022, the exact same date this was marked as resolved, a new firmware update had come out. So let's go back one yet again. That would show that again, this firmware update came out on the 14th of, well, of April, meaning that this firmware update and any newer ones would have this patched. So looking at the previous one, it looks like this system software, the full string is going to be version 22.01-05, dot zero zero dot zero zero uh, or I guess for short you can just put it as like zero one dash zero five either way this system software version is going to be it seems to me like logically this would be the most recent firmware for the PlayStation 5 that would be exploitable to the flow's jailbreak, or I guess the kernel exploit right there. So that is cool to see, at least up to this firmware version right here, there seems to be a kernel exploit for the PlayStation 5, which once discovered, I'm sure the community is working on this, once discovered, this can be paired with BDJB to give us a full jailbreak implementation. So what does this mean for PlayStation 5 owners or potential PlayStation 5 owners who might want a jailbreak for their system? 
Uh, well, we have seen this a few times. We do know there's at least several groups and several people who have jailbroken the PlayStation 5, at least privately, and they have shown their findings right here similar to this. So there has been multiple kernel exploits, I'm sure, out there that have been found. But it seems to be at this point right now, if you are, first of all, if you're wanting a jailbreak for your system, if you do have a PlayStation 5, the lower firmware you're on, the better. This is just common for any system. It doesn't matter what it is. Typically, the lower the firmware, the better that you're going to be on there. Uh, but if you're kind of gunning after this right here, it seems to be if you haven't updated your PlayStation 5 since about mid-April of 2022, your PS5 is probably going to be vulnerable. If it's running a firmware version of this, like 01-05 or lower, it would be vulnerable to this kernel exploit. If it's going to be running a higher firmware, meaning it's running a firmware that is, well, has been released on April 14th of this year or later, then it seems that this kernel exploit has been patched. Really, as I've been saying, not only for the PlayStation 5, but for any system, it doesn't matter what it is. If you are waiting for something, you might want to get a lower firmware system, or if you only have one system, just take it offline, block updates on there, and keep it on a low firmware. But also for the PlayStation 5, I don't think there's going to be anything that will be like tomorrow, for example. So if you're waiting three years for something i mean just just be prepared but either way this is really cool to see so uh, that's at least the information that i can help with on there but really awesome stuff here adding on to the really awesome stuff for the playstation 4 and the playstation 5 we do have something new from cturt where i have covered several things that they've done before that have been really awesome to see i've covered several of these on the channel here uh, but even just looking at their articles uh, for exploit write-ups they always do a really good job with their write-ups i love their write-ups but they had uh, they developed yeah, basic, which I never covered on here because since I'm in the North American territory, I just don't have as easy access to this, but I'll just highlight this real quick. This here is really just being able to exploit the PlayStation 2 and run unsigned code on it using demo discs that were shipped with PAL region PlayStation 2s. This is cool to see in 2019. Uh, however, not that many people really covered it just because you did have to get one of these demo discs and really you had to have a PAL PlayStation 2 and it was easier to find one of these discs in a PAL territory. So really people who are going to have a NT NTSCU or NTSCJ system probably would not gravitate to this, me included. He also, of course, created and released free DVD boot, which was the awesome exploit for the PlayStation 2. To me, one of the most earth-shattering ones where you could literally just, I mean, this was as simple as once it was all set up, you burn it to a DVD, you pop the DVD into your PlayStation 2, and you have arbitrary code execution. <laughs> He's also done work on the PlayStation 4 really with a firmware 1.76 where he did a lot of contributions on there way back in 2015. So really what I'm saying here is that Cturt really knows his stuff and he is an incredible resource here. Now I am still waiting for part two of Masticore to be published here. 
However, I thought that while I'm recording this at this time here, since it hasn't been released, uh, we can still take a look at part one and kind of give a high level overview on here. Do keep in mind, I'm not really a reverse engineer to this level, nor am I a professional developer by any means. So uh, there is a lot that does go over my head, but I'll try and explain it to you all here. Either way, we can read into this Mastercore exploit, which is stating hacking the PS4, PS5 through the PlayStation 2 emulator. And this is really escaping right here in part one. Now here, CTERT talks about how they successfully escaped the PS2 emulator developed for the PS4. In the next part, they're going to be covering the exploit chain as well as Sony's response. And there is even a demo video here, which we would take a look at, but he even states, notes that these vulnerabilities were discovered and reported back in September 2021, but I was only able to publish this now. Now for his intro, he stated, it's been a long time since I last worked on any modern PlayStation hacking, but with the release of the PS5 and the introduction of PlayStation's bug bounty program, I was motivated to attempt some kind of exploit chain that would work on the PS5. I settled on attacking the PlayStation 2 emulator, which turns out to be a very appealing target for a number of reasons. One, escaping it would grant the ability to run pirated PlayStation 2 games on the PS4, PS5, and potentially also the PSN cloud gaming service. This is particularly valuable because access to running just the subset of officially available PlayStation 2 games on these platforms is being charged at the highest tier of PlayStation's new subscription service. Number two, the PlayStation 2 emulator is one of the last remaining just-in-time privileged code on the PlayStation 5. Sony aggressively removed just-in-time privilege attack surface from the PlayStation 5, disabling this in both the web browser and the Blu-ray player. Since the PlayStation 2 emulator is really a PS4 title that runs due to backwards compatibility, they were unable to make changes to the software, and so its just-in-time privilege had to be spared. Having just-in-time privilege means that fully compromising the emulator, including the compiler code process, would grant the ability to run fully arbitrary native code, not just ROP, on the PS4 and PS5 without the need for a kernel exploit. This would be especially convenient on the PS5 because of the newly introduced hypervisor enforces that code pages, both userland and kernel, are not readable. And I don't have the patience to try and write a blind kernel exploit again, as I did when I ported bad IRET to the PlayStation 4 without a kernel dump. Props to that. <laughs> With arbitrary code execution in a PS4 game process, homebrew software, including just-in-time optimized emulators, and potentially even some pirated commercial PS4 games, could be run under this context. And number three. Under PlayStation security model, it's essentially unpatchable. Once you have access to an exploitable game, digital or physical, it would be extremely difficult for PlayStation to remove your access to it. The console was only designed to enforce updates for the operating system, but has no mechanisms to enforce patches for games, i.e. old versions of games can always be played on the latest version of the operating system. For physical games, you can simply launch them without first checking for updates. For digital games, you can downgrade them by proxying PlayStation Network traffic. It was designed this way since PlayStation can't be held responsible for the security of third-party games particularly those that statically link to old versions of WebKit. Their security model instead focuses on securing higher privileged layers of the platform, kernel and hypervisor on PS5, operating under the assumption that games are compromised. It's my interpretation that the existence of games with special privileges, like the PlayStation 2 emulators just in time, 
functionality violates their own security model because it leaves privilege code with no readily available mechanisms to patch potential future vulnerabilities. Furthermore, PlayStation has decided to double down on the security model by not even removing the identified known exploitable PS2 games from the store. Because of these reasons, I'm comfortable referring to this scenario as unpatchable, even if it may not technically be fully accurate. Now, I do want to stop this here and kind of just comment on this a bit. Uh, first of all, I I knew about downgrading firmware, or not firmware, but downgrading the version of a game itself. Uh, like he was saying on here, if you have a physical game, you don't have to run the latest update on it. You can just run the base version off the disc. Uh, or, of course, if you have a physical or even a digital game, uh, using some clever proxy tricks, you can just force it to install a certain version of the game. Um, it's really just setting up a proxy on your PC, uh, tunneling your PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5 through the PC, and then just kind of delivering a different version of the game update that you wish to issue to your console. So when you go to update, you're essentially tricking it and saying, hey, as opposed to version 1.10 of this game, I want you to download 1.03 for whatever reason you might want to on here. Um, so I did know about that. I am wondering, I'm honestly wondering how much um, how much this would be impacted if games were blocked on here. He does state that, that there's exploitable games that have not been removed from the PlayStation Network store in regards to this, and we'll get into what some of those games are. However, the reason why I'm bringing that up, like game blocking and such, is because one, uh, we've actually seen that on not the PS4, PS5, but the PlayStation Vita. You see, prior to the PS Vita being super easy to modify, before like firmware 3.6, there was actually uh, ways to get into the PlayStation Portable emulator on there. Uh, and you would typically need a PSP game and then you would download that, you would then install a hacked game save on your system, and when you load up that game save, it would crash the game in a way that you could boot into the emulated PSP side of the system. Uh, typically, whenever this would happen, it would always require you to purchase and download that specific PlayStation Net like PSP game off of PSN on the Vita. You then have to get your save file on there, and then you can do all the fun stuff that you want to. But in order to purchase that, you had to be on the latest firmware for PlayStation Network access. You then had to purchase that game. And typically, whenever these exploit games were announced, they would be pulled within a matter of hours or even days. Uh, but even further, I distinctly remember this. Once an exploitable game was pulled, until the next firmware update, you could not re-download that game. So even if you even if you didn't care about the exploit by any means, if that was just a game that you owned on your account in your library, and let's say firmware 3.5 had a game that was exploitable, you could not download, you could not re-download that game until the next firmware update came out. Because the next firmware update would end up patching out that game exploit, so that just didn't work right there. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because it doesn't seem like these firmwares are going to be patched on a per-game basis on the PS4 or PS5, but I'm wondering if they would just disable downloads for the time being on that. I know there might be some people who are saying, oh, they can't do that, they shouldn't do that, but like, Believe me, it did happen. It really did happen. So that's why when a ex at the time when an exploitable game was announced, 
you had to decide if you wanted to exploit your system in that way purchase the game right away and download it and not delete it or anything because if you deleted it you weren't able to get it back until that was patched until new firmware update came out and then at that point if you updated your firmware and you re-downloaded the game well the exploit was patched at that point i'm also bringing up blocking games because that is possible as well too uh, not only there is a small handful of games for the playstation 4 which do not work on the playstation 5 for whatever reason from what i see um it seems to be i guess publisher discretion at that point there's not that many mind you i believe there's like less than 10 games in the ps4 library that are not compatible on the playstation 5 and that has changed a little bit a few of them have been whitelisted but that's what i mean there is a whitelist and we've seen this happen as well too i know with the game pt playable teaser the silent hills demo the reason why that does not work on PlayStation 5 is because of the publisher. Apparently, before the PS5 came out, like when retail units were being sent to reviewers and such prior to the launch of it, PT did work. You were not able to re-download it, but you could transfer the game from your PlayStation 4 to your PlayStation 5, and as long as you had a matching PlayStation Network account on there with the license for it, you could play it on the PlayStation 5. But... That game, that individual game, was blocked before the PlayStation 5 ended up being officially released to the world. So that can happen as well, too. Like, individual games can be blocked at that level from just not working at all on the PS5. I do wonder if we're going to see that here, but either way, that's just kind of my tangent on this. Let's continue on with this. Now for the anatomy of the PlayStation 2 emulator, they say that the emulator is divided into two separate processes. The main application process, which is an eboot.bin, and its compiler child process, which is PS2 emu compiler.self. The kernel assigns each of these processes different privileges, implemented by checking the result of a couple of functions that are here on screen, uh, and it says the compiler can write code and the application can execute code. The check used to be implemented incorrectly, and the browser application process on PS4 firmware 1.76 could create both writable mappings and executable mappings. But nowadays, we would need to control both processes in order to be able to produce fully arbitrary code, and so that will be the goal of this chain. Now for the entry point, Ctart is stating our exploit chain will begin by exploiting a PS2 game to achieve code execution within the emulator, either through a save game exploit or through a purely controller triggered exploit. First of all, for the save game vulnerabilities, they're not hard to find. For example, see the GTA decompilations showing a copy from the memory card into a fixed size buffer with size supplied by the saves. Exploiting these issues is relatively simple since the PS2 didn't have any exploit mitigations. With one of these exploits, a PS4 save file containing the crafted PS2 memory card can be encrypted and signed for any PSN ID by anyone with a hacked PS4 on any firmware, or just a PC if they have decapped SAMU keys, and then imported to the target PS4 or PS5 using the USB save import feature and settings. I do want to highlight a couple things here real quick. Now, when he's talking about PS4 saves being re-encrypted and re-signed to any PlayStation Network ID using a modified PS4 on any, you know, vulnerable firmware, that is true. That can be done with PS4 offline account activators, which if you don't know how those work, kind of at a high level, essentially you're able to 
create an online account, like a PlayStation Network account on your jailbroken PlayStation 4. And the idea what you could do is let's say you have two systems, you have a legitimate console with your legitimate PSN ID, it is on the latest update and all that stuff. And you have a offline modified PlayStation 4. What you could do is through some magic, you can essentially take your PlayStation Network account, you can get the ID of that. And then on your hacked PlayStation 4, you can then take that account ID, you can pair it up to an account on that PlayStation 4, and you can generate a online account that matches your PlayStation Network account, but completely offline on your offline PlayStation 4. And one of the main benefits for that is you can then transfer your game saves between your modified PlayStation 4 and your jailbroken PlayStation 4, uh, they will still work on that PlayStation Network account you have signed them to, and they will be you know, encrypted and everything and signed to that account. So one of the nice features that you could do is uh, you can actually modify your saves that way if you ever want to. You can take your completely stock PlayStation 4, you can export a save to a USB drive, import that save onto the same account on your modified PlayStation 4, do whatever you need to to, let's say, just buff up all of your stats on your character of a game you're playing to max stats using a trainer of some kind, resave that, then transfer that save back over to your completely stock PlayStation 4, and at that point, without modifying your, you know, stock PlayStation 4, you've been able to modify the game in some way. It's also worth noting for anybody who does not know that you cannot transfer PS5 saves to an external drive. So that's why it also helps to attack this from a PS4 vector and standpoint here, because on the PlayStation 4, you can still, like, if you have a PS5, you can transfer your PS4 save data to a USB drive, but you can't transfer PS5 save data to a USB drive, unfortunately. The other exploit mentioned here, which is a controller input triggered exploit, would be less practical, except for having the ability to be used without requiring the USB save import feature, which depends on having assigned into PSN, since saves are encrypted per account, and times out on the PS5 after being offline for too long. It seems like Dark Cloud actually has a decades-old known bug, and he states here whereby moving the cursor and pressing X on the same frame in the items menu allows you to pick up an item from out-of-bounds memory, which results in exploitable behavior. But sadly, it only received a digital PS4 release, not a physical PS4 disc release, so it doesn't help remove our PSN requirement. However, for his chain, he settled on Oakage Shadow King, which has a typical stack buffer overflow if you extend the player or town name. For anybody who's ever been into the Wii modding scene, that was pretty similar to uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, where you could do the exact same thing by extending out, I believe, Epona's name, just the horse's name, just do out of bounds with that. And from there, it would crash the game and you were able to modify your Wii at that point. Now, he goes into much greater detail on the emulator bug here. And if you want to check this out yourself and really see even some really awesome breakdowns of the code here, this is, of course, going to be linked in the description. I am going to come to the end here kind of just to keep this still higher level. Uh, but in it, he kind of does a nice summary here where he's saying the summary of route to ROP, where first of all, for primitive one, the initial bug, writing to CDVDS status register repeatedly overflows the S status buffer. For primitive two, this is arbitrary index write, 
where it says use primitive one to corrupt in status index. Writing to cdvd in status register now triggers arbitrary byte write to an arbitrary index. For primitive three, arbitrary call with result, you're able to use the previous primitive to overwrite an IO read handler function pointer. Reading from that memory mapped IO register now calls an arbitrary address and gives us the result. For primitive number four, to defeat the eBoots ASLR, use primitive three, but only partial pointer overwrite the address, redirecting it to the function's return instruction. That primitive will now return us an address within the eBoot. And finally, primitive five, arbitrary call with arbitrary argument, you're able to go back and use primitive two to overwrite an IO write handler function pointer. Writing to that memory mapped IO register now calls an arbitrary address with controlled ESI register. Then to use them like so, one, you use primitive four to leak an eBoot pointer, which we'll use in subsequent steps to locate gadgets within the eBoot's executable section. Number two, you use primitive three to call a stack pointer disclosure gadget and get the result. Number three, you create the initial ROP chain, just a stack pivot to the main ROP chain, and use primitive two to write it to some free space within the eBoot's data section so that its address will fit within 32 bytes. Number four, you construct a main ROP chain. That finishes by restoring the original call E saved registers, including the stack pointer value, which we leaked in step two. And number five, use primitive five to call the stack pivot gadget pair with RSI pointing to the initial ROP chain. This will result in executing our main ROP chain and then returning gracefully back to PlayStation 2 execution. Note that the first three steps are part of the setup process that only needs to be done once. To execute subsequent ROP chains, we just need to write them over the last chain and then execute them by writing to the pre-corrupted memory mapped IO handler in steps four and five. As CTERT says, now that we've successfully escaped the PS to emulator, the natural first thing to try doing with it is to boot another game. There are a few options for retrieving an external game file. First of all, bundling it within the save file initially seems like the obvious choice. But since the PS4 save games have a file size limit, I think it was 1GB but then raised a bit for Cyberpunk's release, this approach won't work for many PS2 games. Or, you could possibly also copy games off USB storage by manually porting over a USB and FAT implementation, since mount sense call since mount sys calls are restricted, like I did with my native Game Boy emulator proof of concept for the PS4 1.76 WebKit and just in time exploit. Or what we're going to see right here. I chose to just upload the desired game to the console over the local network on each run. My rudimentary proof of concept without any compression and over Wi-Fi takes almost 20 minutes for a 1.3 gigabyte game like Klonoa 2, but this could surely be improved. Now let's go ahead and just see this right here. He does have a video and let's blow this up on screen. So I'm going to have this video playing here and I also just want to state if anybody watching this is concerned about the frame rate and choppiness on this, uh, there's nothing wrong with the performance on here. I'm sure the performance is just fine. However, this is recorded on CTERT's screen from what I see like his computer screen. He's just doing a screen capture and he's also playing this over, um, I guess the remote play app from what I can see. So either way, this is about two and a half minutes, but what he does here is he starts up Oak Age Shadow King on his PlayStation 4. 
Looks like, of course, it is a PlayStation 2 game. And let's see what happens. So it's running. Seems just be doing all the initial stuff a game would do here when booting up. Now he's going to press the start button. He's going to restore a game, which is just loading a game here. And here we go. The first step, you see this. That means the exploit has run because it's now stating here pretty quickly, I might add, waiting to receive disk image file. So this is what he has directed the exploit to do. He even shares here on the write-up, once the ISO file is somewhere accessible on the file system, it was just a case of locating the emulator's code responsible for opening the disk file, which is typically in app0 slash images slash disk01.iso, and then setting a breakpoint, then using the exploit to call it with a different path here. So now that we have that covered, Let's see what he does. He brings up bash right here, and he ends up just running some code right here, which is essentially saying he's pointing this to his PlayStation 4. This is the, well, this should be the PS4 IP address over port 9023, and he is pointing this over to Klonoa2.iso. And then once he runs this command over at the PlayStation 4, we went to a black screen. Let's see what happens. It is still playing. There we go. Completion 1%. So at this point here, he just ends up speeding this up because it does take, as he said there, 20 minutes on this. So he speeds it up, just does a jump cut here to 99%. Assume this is about 20 minutes later. And let's see what happens. Here we go. Remounting to... AV, well, there's a, a longer path here, but saying AV contents slash content underscore temp slash boot dot ISO. So it looks like, I guess the emulator has done kind of a soft reboot in a way, and it's just now booting to the ISO that he has quite literally just uploaded to his PlayStation 4. And what is this ISO? Here we go. Yep. Booting from CD-ROM 0 colon slash SLUS underscore 201 dot Five, one and then that's the first one booting from new disk looks like this is indeed a different game this is not oakage this seems to be klonoa 2 here we go and this is even cool i noticed this he's able to uh even load up a save game as well too so this is a klonoa 2 save which is still within that uh that oakage container right there so to speak but he's able to load that up get into here the game loads and beautiful, just beautiful, really cool to see. We'll skip ahead a little bit here. There's the initial cutscene, and then here he is in game. That's awesome. For part one's conclusion, he finishes this off by saying, PS2 piracy is a fun implication, especially being able to disclose it despite there being no patch. But my main goal was getting native homebrew applications running. Regarding that goal, escaping the emulator is just the first half of the chain. We can't yet write arbitrary native code since our application process only has permission to map just-in-time shared memory as executable, not writable. We could technically write PS4-enhanced PlayStation 2 homebrew applications that could use any native PS4 functionality, and so could behave essentially the same as normal PS4 homebrew accessing the PS4's controllers, touchpad, etc., but I really wanted to achieve fully arbitrary code execution for a more practical homebrew environment. 
This makes the next step attacking the compiler process, which is in part two, the arbitrary code execution. So here we go. While this isn't done here, there's a few takeaways I have. First of all, uh, CTERT, you're awesome for this. Thank you for uh, doing this awesome write-up here and really being able to follow this. Secondly, I can tell uh, CTERT loves the PS2. With the amount of PS2 work this man has done, he loves the PlayStation 2. <laughs> uh, and thirdly here, this does seem to be, I mean, at this case here, like as he has said, this could be a un like unpatchable exploit. Uh, really, the only way this would be patched here would be if PlayStation 2 games are just blocked on the consoles as a whole like if playstation 2 games are removed from the psn like I, I guess special service on there i don't remember what exactly it's called but just like the latest ps plus service that's it if ps2 games are removed from there if ps2 games are just not purchasable at all if they can't be booted it's really just removing playstation 2 games completely which is not going to happen because there's people who have bought a lot of playstation 2 games uh plus there's even like physical ps2 games like this as well too yes these are ps4 games but let me get it into that here momentarily um either way on this it looks like this is this has been an odd one while this is an exploit here and it was disclosed about a year ago um at least a closed disclosure to hacker one it looks like this write-up was allowed um this was i guess paid out to ctart as well too but this also hasn't been patched uh, I guess my opinion on here, because some people might be wondering, okay, do I need to purchase OK Shadow King? Do I need to keep my PlayStation 4 offline or PS5 offline? I'd say if you're wanting a chance at messing with this, and do keep in mind, uh, this might not really progress past the PlayStation 2 stage, and I, I do mean that respectfully here. Uh, you'll probably have a really awesome way of, you know, loading up PlayStation 2 Homebrew, of sideloading other PlayStation 2 games on here as well, too, and messing with this all within the realm of the PlayStation 2 container, like the app container right there. Um, but for anybody who is really hoping for, like, a full jailbreaker implementation from this, maybe we can see on this it's really going to be your decision to make on here uh now it does seem like okage shadow king seems to be at least the main game which is exploitable on here but Ceter has also mentioned that there's other playstation 2 games that do have these same level of save game exploits they just need to be found and they need to be implemented and such plus the other thing with this too is that you do need PlayStation Network access for this. So some people who are also on maybe a lower firmware, if you're on a lower firmware on your PlayStation 5, this is my opinion, if you're on a low firmware PlayStation 5, I I personally wouldn't update my low firmware PS5 to the latest firmware to get a PlayStation 2 game. Uh, even if you're on a PlayStation 4 that is not on the latest firmware, but it is higher than 9.00, meaning that it's offline and outdated, but also not exploitable, I personally wouldn't update just to get this here. That's my personal opinion on this. Um, however, another entry point that was talked about that, you know, might not have 
a direct PSN reliance is uh, really what I showed right here, which are these PlayStation 2 games. Now, again, people who are watching might say, dude, these are PS4 games. No, they are not. Uh, these are just some that I have in my collection, and Limited Run Games actually released all three of these, but just as some examples, like Star Wars Racer Revenge, uh, Jack X Combat Racing, Red Faction, while as these are PlayStation 4 titles right here, these are all just PlayStation 2 games, which are wrapped up in the PlayStation 2 emulator, for PlayStation 4. Um, so this could be another method and entry point as well too. I don't believe uh, Oakage was, and, and by entry point, I mean, I guess just looking for an exploitable game. I don't believe Oakage was ever released physically for the PlayStation 4. However, there's many other PlayStation 2 titles that were released physically on the PlayStation 4. So if one of these games, for example, let's say, you know, let's say like Jack X, if there is a save game exploit which is found and released for Jack X Combat Racing, you could purchase this on the PlayStation Network store if you're on the latest firmware. But if you're not on the latest firmware, well, if you're lucky enough to have a physical copy of it or if you want to track one down, that could also work as well too. Uh, just do keep in mind, this isn't going to be the more cost-effective method, uh, just because, to my knowledge, I don't think these PlayStation 2 games on PS4 were just ever, you know, pressed with, like, tens of thousands of copies or hundreds of thousands of copies. These three were all from limited-run games, so the runs are pretty limited on here. This is really going to be more for something with if you want to mess around with this, but you really still want to stay on a low firmware PS4, PS5, or even if you have some games like this. So either way, this is super awesome to see. I did want to cover this on here. This is really awesome overall. And Seaturt, uh, hey, if you're watching, awesome job, man. <laughs> Great job. Now for my final topic here. Yeah, that's why I only really cover two things on this episode because I knew it was going to take a while. Uh, but for my final topic here, I typically like to pick something maybe kind of sort of related to or relatable to the world of modding that I find cool, awesome, funny, odd, maybe maybe a mixture of everything here. And we're actually going to be looking at Nintendo for this. Um, this did get some traction online, rightfully so. And I'm even going to have this linked because I feel like if I share this, like I, I've linked this to friends and I'm like, I'm linking you the direct article from Nintendo.com because I, I need you to click on this link just so you know that I'm not lying about this. <laughs> and this is um, how to set up a router's port forwarding for a Nintendo Switch console, which was pointed to quite a bit for the recent release of Splatoon 3. Now, this is really big for games that have NAT and different NAT levels. If you have maybe, I'm thinking anybody who's played Halo or Call of Duty has probably seen like a prompt on screen somewhere showing that they have an open NAT or a closed NAT or a moderate NAT. And then it links them to a page where you can follow instructions on opening up ports and what you can do to resolve that. Uh, really, it's not like it makes your game, you know, like it doesn't improve your connection speed it doesn't automatically make you host it doesn't improve it in that sense uh, but it does help with connectivity just between friends and other players for example just here's an example of a NAT issue here if let's say you are trying to play with a friend and every time they invite you to a game 
you're you can't join for some reason but every time you invite them to a game they're able to join you with no issue that is a nat issue between one of you two there so it would help where you could go into the person who's having an issue could go into the router and open up these specified ports needed to resolve that issue with all that being said uh this page was highlighted quite a bit because the recent release of splatoon 3 and you know this looks good enough so far right it says in this article you'll learn how to forward network ports to a nintendo switch console uh, while nintendo provides this information for our customers use it is up to each consumer to determine what security needs they have for their own networks and to decide how to best configure their network settings to meet those needs the following steps are general steps that apply to most routers if you need specific instructions for your router please contact the manufacturer of the router for further assistance so this just shows what you can do you know on a pc or your smart device you're going to have to get some network information this shows you where to go on your console how to set up a few things uh but here is where we're getting into the, the, this itself here um on a pc or smart device one access your router settings Two, locate the port forwarding settings while the location will vary from router to router it will typically be located in an area titled firewall virtual server security or applications and gaming three when asked for an application name you can enter any word nintendo switch etc four within the port range enter the starting point and the ending point to forward for the nintendo switch console this is port one through sixty-five thousand five hundred thirty. they want you to open up they want you to open up every single port all over udp for your switch console <laughs> okay okay uh, for for reference i mean just one this is bad practice not good to do uh so no this is not helpful actually and number two for a game like let's say the call of duty example here uh it's not going to be nearly as liberal about it like just looking at this this is the official activision support and you know ports used and such that you can open or forward on here for call of duty vanguard on xbox for tcp you open up port 3074 for udp there's a few ports that you open there's a handful of ports you don't open all of them you open a few of them here which is how it should be this was just I couldn't I couldn't believe it. That's why I I linked the page to friends. I said like you might not believe me if I tell you this. Click on this and look at this help article to see and look at the URL where this is from. I'm not kidding you on here. So yeah, that's the uh, unbelievable, funny, random, weird, awful thing that we can put at the end of this episode of Mod Chat. Now that you've made it to the end of this episode, I hope that you have enjoyed it. I hope you had some fun listening, watching along. I hope you even got to learn something as well, too, because, you know, learning is always something good. Now, at the very end here, for anybody who has made it to the end of these episodes, what I like to do is I like to pick a keyword or a key phrase and if you use this in a comment on the youtube upload i'll know that you've made it to the end and um you know typically i don't pick the key phrase at all so this typically comes down to me like looking around my room looking around uh, my desk and seeing what's available and i just want to see oh actually there is a few you know what this will work out how about what a rarity how about manual? 
if you use the word manual, hold on, I gotta take a smell of this too. Wow. Okay, like that game manual smell. Oh my goodness. Like so many people don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure, because games don't come with manuals anymore. But if you use the word manual in your comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. Do you love game manuals? Do you hate game manuals? Do you miss game manuals not uh, being available physically on these games? Sometimes they're not even available digitally as well, too. Do you know how to drive a manual car? Just use the word manual in your comment if you've made it to the end, and uh, I'll know that you've made it to the end of this episode once I go through all the comments. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. And until next time.